Okay, guys, welcome again. I'm going to start out with a whole lot of defensive preempts because this is a topic that I love, have a very strong interest, but it is also one of my pet peeves when people assume authority over areas and topics that they are not. So uh, you, you guys know my background in nutrition, physical therapy, all of that. My foray into the social sciences, which were later in my career, three master's degrees pursuits in writing, with which an emphasis was in social science writing, and then social psychology, and then another one in social science. That still, nonetheless, does not make me an expert in this. I don't do it as a career, doesn't make me anything more than a perpetual student. But I think this is a huge topic in what we do. Uh, Dr. Souders, our medical director, brought this up in the last couple of weeks in our review of all of the goal uh, pursuit behavioral topics we've been talking about. So I thought, man, what a, what a perfect opportunity to kind of blend this in and help us round out all of the temperamental behavioral things that go into us hopefully succeeding in our in our pursuits for better health. So cognitive distortions, I think uh, everybody has heard that term and that phrase. Uh, it actually, I think, started in the late 1950s. There, there was you know one one person, as there usually is, kind of developing a field, and uh, it's it's simply if if I could create a definition. Matter of fact, I may have one here. Let me, so I don't have to try and make it up. Yeah, here we go. Uh, a cognitive distortion is an exaggerated or irrational thought pattern involved in the onset or perpetuation of psychopathological states such as depression and anxiety. And before I go any further, let me say that if you just did a search, if you start going into Google Scholar, PubMed, YouTube, and you start looking up cognitive distortions, almost every single thing you find will relate it back to anxiety and depression. And I'm going to talk about uh, Dr. Burns, who is a guy who wrote a book called Feel Good in 1980. At the time, as a psychiatrist, he was one of only about a dozen people who even considered himself a cognitive behavioral therapist. And at the time, they were looked at as kind of, you know, quacks. They were getting out of the mainstream because at that time, especially in psychiatry, it was moving heavily towards a chemical imbalance medical model. And so this whole thought process that, hey, it's not so much what happens to us or even how our brains are chemically changing, but it's simply how we think about it. And that goes all the way back to some of the Stoic philosophers. And so out of this really incredible bastion of what became a powerhouse of psychological fields, University of Pennsylvania, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy sprang, then personality psychology and positive psychology. So he was one of the forerunners of all of that. And now he's still, as, as a, pro a professor emeritus of Stanford, uh, one of the leading authorities. So I, I would, if I were you, dig a little bit deeper if you really have um some perhaps issues that you want to sort through in when, when it comes to cognitive uh, behavioral or just cognitive distortion things but let me let me get back up here to where i was because i want to go through just a little bit more of the history here's what i wanted to do today and it became a very short run into a brick wall i wanted to take cognitive distortions which again are the exaggerated we thoughts that we have and i'm going to i'm going to get into that in a second so so hold that thought that uh these things are false typically um they are exaggerations i'm going to make some correlative statements um that may or not be very accurate but i want to i think it really implies a lot or brings a lot to what we're going to talk about with health and nutrition but People have tried to tie cognitive distortion to things like anorexia, bulimia, uh, dysmorphia, things like that, and it just didn't work. Like every single study I could look up, they would all have these hypotheses that, well, of course, somebody who has bulimia or an eating disorder, or, you know, binge eating disorder, they've got to be magnifying and catastrophizing and ruminating and have all of these distorted thoughts. 
and they just didn't. They found actually that the the there you go, Jen. Thank you for that book. He actually has a new one. So so he 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 wrote that book, Feeling Good, in 1980, and in just 2020, 30 years later, he wrote the book, Feeling Great, as a sequel. That's how much of a run Feeling Good had. Like that was just the preeminent kind of textbook on the topic. But when it comes back down to us in our pursuits or our stumbles, our perceived failures in changing our body composition, improving health, changing our behavior when it comes to food, it's it's more often the leaner, healthier people that have more distorted thinking or there's just no correlation at all. And so I had to really think through and read through some studies and the researchers' discussions and the fact that they were trying to pick up the pieces of their broken hypotheses. And it's not that somebody who's overweight, somebody who's obese, or somebody who has an eating disorder uh, is better. It's just that we're all pretty bad. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the bottom line. Because it's such a cultural thing, and this is what led me back to my roots of just social science, because it's such a cultural thing, we just all have these major, major distortions about everything, uh, especially when it comes to the comparative parts of, um, you know, eat, our body image and so forth. So, so you know, social comparison is an offshoot of social psychology and even cognitive distortions, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it, it is what it says. Um, for us to know our place in any society, any pecking order from the sandbox on the playground to the corporate boardroom, we have these behaviors and we have these thoughts and we have these perceptions as we're playing into all of these social scenarios. And so as these researchers, which again, it's it's fantastic to me that this stuff is relatively new within 50 or 60 years, for them to put the definitions on these phenomena and start to really explore what that means for us as people and as groups, it, they, they came to the conclusion, rightly so, that this is just normal. We do compare. And, and when we compare ourselves to other things and other people, we're going to have some distortions. We're going to have you know, where we perceive our place to be because of perhaps our, our genetics and our environment and our, our adverse childhood experiences or parenting, good or bad. And so how we do that matters more than anything. And that was Dr. Burns, you know, real big contribution is the, these are normal. We're going to get all this stimuli. Um, we're going to have a lot of things happening neurochemically, but is that the problem or is it just how we actually think about the problem? He has gone on to say, and I don't even want to overemphasize this because I'm not familiar with all of his actual research. You know, somebody in just an interview or an article here or there, they can say something off the cuff casually that may not reflect their entire body of work. But he has even said that as a psychiatrist who has done a lot of work with serotonin, SSRIs, and so forth, he said there is zero evidence. And, and that may be an overstatement, but he said he has completely turned his back on those kind of neurochemical modulators because placebos work just as good. Um, you can change somebody's serotonin levels. You can do it in different ways, double blind, random controlled placebo you know, studies and all this. And it, it just, there is no evidence that they even work. As a matter of fact, for most people, it harms them to the point with their affect that they end up coming back off. Um, so maybe in some scenarios, maybe as a tool to use on the way to better cognitive behavioral therapeutic approaches that require a little bit more long-term work. But that's that's how good this can be when you just start to address the distortions that we have. So again, comparison, normal. Um, cognitive distortions in terms of all those filters and lenses that we use, those are always there, those are normal but how we allow them to amplify within us are where the problems lie. So let me, let me continue this definition now. Cognitive distortions are thoughts that cause individuals to perceive reality inaccurately, which begs a lot of philosophical thought. Like what is even reality? It is very subjective. According to Aaron Beck's cognitive model, a negative outlook on reality, sometimes called negative schemas, is a factor in symptoms of emotional dysfunction or poor subjective well-being. Specifically, negative thinking patterns reinforce negative emotions and thoughts. 
So let me say one thing that I kind of came to a conclusion of as I was looking through all of this material this week, because I'm trying to connect some bigger dots to us. When we go through all of these cognitive distortions, so here are 12 normal ones that we'll kind of go over categorical. But let me let me go through here. And then, you know, maybe there's some more. Now there's 22. Oh, wait, there's 24. Oh, wait, there's 50. Oh, wait, there are entire books on, on these things. Uh, you can you can bifurcate these things down to a lot of areas, but Dr. Burns himself has kind of a top 10 list and most other therapists kind of subdivide from there. But when we look at these and we think, okay, do I have this one? Or maybe I have this one, or maybe my personality psychology kind of lends me to this one. I don't see it really working that way. I think if you are prone to these, you kind of have them all, or you have none. And I relate it back to Tanya Luhrmann, another researcher at Stanford, uh, who went through the same program I did at Harvard. Uh, she is an anthropological psychologist, and her her body of work is really in what's called a psychological absorption capacity, which is how people, some people are prone to magical thinking and believing the unbelievable, the conspiracy theories, things like that. Like they just, they they don't seem to be able to want to even stay rooted in reality. They want anything counter to reality. And think about that. Maybe that's because their reality is just too painful. Maybe their reality, because of social comparison or broader distortions, they don't want to be there. So as we know about cognitive distortions in the first place, we distort these things to self-protect, to self-soothe, to try to avoid some of the things we don't like in our lives. So as we go through some of these, and I try to relate them to our pursuits to improve health and to control our behavior when it comes to the responsibility we have to be physically uh, and emotionally healthier. You know, think through if if these things really kind of start speaking to me, maybe one layer deeper is where the problem is. It's not that I have to just work on this distortion or this distortion. It's like, why do I have these at all? So I'm going to I'm going to skip forward a bit where I wrote down some some different um, ways of, of describing these. And then I think we're going to have a lot more discussion time today than than usual. Because, again, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to pretend to be. So uh, uh, Dr. Burns top 10, which is really kind of 11, but I'll tell you where we, we there's a little split here. Uh, and again, these these are where almost all therapists who write on this topic or speak, they they kind of come back to this, I think, just because of his position and influence in the field. But all or none thinking, reducing things to their polar extremes, overgeneralization, I failed once, I'm a failure, mental filter, holding on to one example and using it to color all other experiences. There, there's, there's some overlap here that I'm going to explain on the next slide disqualifying the positive. It's it's just an amplification of negativity bias. Mind reading and, and fortune telling, these are two that kind of go together. If there was an A and a B, these are um, qualification type, type distortions. So assuming that what others think or the reasons for doing or not doing something, fortune telling, I will never blank. Catastrophizing, a lot of people talk about this one, thinking that only the worst outcome will, will come true. Emotional reasoning, uh, this this kind of gets into the uh, realm again of um, Dr. Lorman's work, which is you know belief. I I believe it so much. I just feel it in my bones. This has to be true, and so we think it's true without evidence, maybe even counter evidence. Should statements um, that gets into the just world theory that I wrote about in my post. Uh, this is this. I'm going to stop here for a second, just as a little sidebar, because I love this one. The entire foundation of social psychology is the fact that at one of the deepest levels of all of the human shared experience is the just world theory. Somewhere along the line, we adopted the belief, maybe it's just inherent to how and why we evolved, that everything has to work out. How many times a day do you hear the phrase, everything happens for a reason? Everything happens for a reason. That is the most illogical statement you could ever say or believe. 
everything doesn't happen for a reason. Everything that happens, we apply a reason. And that's where cognitive distortion even comes from. We will apply the reason we want based on the biases we need to feel something, to feel good and just positive, to feel like it aligns with what we already believe, confirmation bias, you know, sunk cost bias, there are all kinds of reasons. But that's that's where the should statements come in. You know, this should work out this way. This should do this. It's a it's a real overplay of the just world theory. Justice is, you know, karma, karma. And we even do these things like, and this is how this is an example of how self-protective these are. Think of think of people in a, a poor situation, like their lives are just not good. Could be literal poverty, uh, could be something else, and they just think, "Well, this this will get better." Karma, um, my captors, my oppressors, my whoever, they'll get theirs, and someday, like I'm just waiting for that to happen. It's going to happen. I have hope. I believe. Even if I have to wait for another lifetime, because in heaven, scales of justice, good and bad, heaven and hell. And so even to the point where we will, we will, we're okay delaying that justice to those ends because we just have to believe things should work out a certain way. When, when I get to this next slide, we start trying to relate this back to diet. You're going to see, you know, where, where these things all kind of fall into place. Labeling and mislabeling, again, that's part of social psychology at, at the core, uh, and that's normal again. We have to. We have to label things. It's the first thing that happens. My almost three-year-old grandson, I, I swear, every five seconds, it's, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that noise? What's this? What's this? What's that say? What's this mean? You know, he's always asking those things, and it's not, it's not the typical why question. It's you see him trying to label things, like, what is that? Um, and it's just, it's just, that's how our brains always work. And we create those heuristics and shortcuts. But again, when it comes down to what we're trying to accomplish, when we decide to adopt information that could help us or hurt us, we have to label that right or wrong. Uh, we have to look at our own behavior in success or perceived failure and say, why, why did that happen? I have to label that as, you know, I'm, and then you can go up here. I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a this. Uh, I will never succeed. You know, fortune telling. And then there's the personalization. You know, where it kind of comes back to just me. It's, it's my fault. It, it didn't have. It couldn't just be random. It couldn't be just a bad day. But I am at fault. So a lot of these. When, when before I get to this next slide, if you look at the extensive and pervasive and connected link with all of these. It is such an exaggeration of ego. Every single one of these, even if you go to the list of 50 of these things, it's all about me. It couldn't be random. It couldn't be just somebody else having a bad day. It's got to be, you know, my fault. It's if you are anybody who really struggles with these things, my first thought is a non-licensed mental health therapist would be go see a licensed mental health therapist because you need to start seeing a world outside of your own head. And they are very good at that. A cognitive behavioral therapist, that's the first step is let's kind of back you out of what's rattling around in your brain and teach you to start looking at things as more of an omnipotent narrator of what's happening. And you're, you're just one part of this world. Uh, and I, I bring that back up because this is why I love social psychology. Psychology is the study of me. Social psychology is the study of us. And I just find so much more value in that uh, because when I focus on me, 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 it's a pretty insular, weird place, right? Like you get into these distortions. So I, I hope to move people away from these as I feel I did 10 to 15 years ago when I started looking at these things. The, the first brush up against cognitive distortions I had I just, I, I was not aware of this whatsoever. This predates any of my work in social psychology, social science, social science writing, all of that. 
And as I was just trying to sort through some worldview evolutions and my own maturation as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a teammate, as an employer, I, I, you know, I was just, I was really digging into some of this stuff, probably just one book at a time. Maybe, maybe this is the point when even like YouTube started. So you had access to so much more information, but I really dove into some of these things and I, and I feel like I suffered pretty heartily from these things. Uh, I had a tendency to really catastrophize. I had a tendency to be a little impulsive and label too quickly with value judgments, you know, mostly inaccurately. So let me bounce ahead here and, and explain what, uh, what I think is helpful here because I, what I did with the help of some other uh, information was give these some more personal context, some some I statements, first person point of view, all or nothing thinking again, the number one distortion most people have, you know, I am a total loser, total loser, you know, it's all or nothing. Uh, and again, they're, these are all generally negative. They're all very egocentrically inwardly pointed over generalization closely related. I always mess up. I never get what I want. That's being a victim. I never get what I want. This always happens to me, man. I, so many people tell me that. And it, it, like, it really, my radar was just pinging hard reading through some of these, um, I, the, the mental filter distortion, it rained. And so it ruined the whole weekend. This one thing happened and it blew the whole event. I mean, the whole week was ruined. Uh, disqualifying the positive. Uh, it, and this is this is a little bit softer. I feel like I just got lucky. I usually do poorly. So now, you know, again, there's slightly some victimization in this. You know, me, I usually do poorly. Poor me, poor me, poor me. But it is a little bit more deprecating. Mind reading, you know, he didn't say hi, so he must not like me. Um you know, my wife didn't meet me at the door with my robe and slippers and pipe. And so, you know, she's having an affair, um, you know, fortune telling, I know I'm going to fail. You know, I always fail catastrophizing. You know, I gave bad directions. What a terrible mistake. Now all these horrible things are going to happen. Emotional reasoning. I'm angry. This is again, like I, 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 I feel angry. That person wronged me. Uh, should statements, I should have worked harder, labeling, mislabeling, I'm an outcast or other directed, she's a witch. Personalization, you know, we lost, blah, 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 my fault. So here's my question to you guys. And I really feel like, um, you know, maybe some of you will detect some of these things inside of you. I think it's easier to <laughs> point them out to other uh, about other people. But in terms of how they affect us, here's where I'm going to try to pretend I'm a therapist for a second. I talk to you guys a lot, like between my coaches and clients and staff, let's, let's say 150 people in my life every day I'm communicating with. Everybody's trying to pursue something. We're all working together, supporting each other. When there are struggles, difficulties, I keep using the word perceived failures because I don't like to think something is ever a failure. It's we're just feeling like we're not getting somewhere. I'd see a lot of these. I mean, I really, as I was reading through this and listening to some, some material this week, I was like, wow, the people who struggle the most with goal pursuit at all, they are the ones who are the most trapped in these distortions. It's not that everybody else doesn't have these, therefore they succeed glowingly. They just don't internalize it so much. Oh yeah, this was a bad day. I'll get back on it tomorrow. Oh, this bad thing happened or really kind of through my week. Totally fine. Good with it. I'm moving on. Like those are the ways we handle things without amplifying the negative. Because here's, here's the thing, the last point that I'll say, these are distortions that are exaggerated forms of reality that are, I would say, objectively, if, if uh, everybody else in your life had a consensus, they would say you are objectively wrong. You are catastrophizing. 
you are personalizing, you are over labeling. Let's just say that that in this sense gives us some accuracy to use the term objective to you it's real. That's the thing. This is totally real. You will not see it in yourself. You, even going through this list and hearing these things, you might not see yourself in this and you're totally in this. Uh, you and, and, and I don't think there's any way that I can tell you this or you can read a book about it and, and come to some conclusions without it being a bit of a process to just kind of scratch your head and say, all right, I'm going to leave myself open to this. Maybe I'll read a little bit more. Maybe I'll watch some videos on this and maybe I'll talk to some other people like very responsible friends who will respect that vulnerability and be gentle with their discussion. But it's it's a process. You you have to kind of unpeel those layers one at a time or you will psychologically have too much trauma. That's why we insulate ourselves in these distortions to protect us in the first place. So there's no way you could just strip all these off and say, oh, thank you for that research review. I'm perfectly fine now. So with that said, let's let's just kind of discuss this a little bit and see where we can maybe apply some of these things to the rest of our lives and hopefully transfer some of that information this way or that way. Um, but let me let, let me first turn to Dr. Souter, since you brought this up, Jen, I'll, I'll throw you into the mix here first, if you don't mind, and, and see what you think. Well, where to start? Um, I think that these are really good things for us to be aware of personally, because just as you said, Joe, um, if you know if you know what a cognitive distortion is, you can start to to discover it and detect it in yourself and your own behavior. Um, and I think for coaches. Um, let's see, this is, this is tough topic and I don't <laughs> think I'm as much of an expert either, you know, this, I'm not a psychologist, um, but I have, I have worked with this material in a way that helps to reach people to help them to self-inquire. So for me, um, I made that comment in the chat, you know, we're full of should, should, um, definitely I was full of should. I was so full of shit. Oh my goodness. It was terrible. Um, and I realized eventually that, you know, I was projecting that onto other people. So when it began to cause trouble in relationships, because other people weren't like me, well, duh, but you know, it was such a, it's such an ingrained cognitive distortion that I couldn't see it. Um, initially. And so, you know, once I, once I became, became aware of what cognitive distortions were, I just began to get curious when I would get a certain thought. And oftentimes this would be accompanied by like an embodied feeling in the body, um, a sense of, you know, stress chemicals in the body potentially. Um, so, you know, feelings of like adrenaline and that sort of thing. Um, and I think when we hear certain things that may come from, say, a client or a family member or a friend, um, we can just do a little motivational interviewing type of technique and just say, well, you know, what, what, what makes you feel that way? You don't want to say, oh, well, you know, you're just catastrophizing. But um, because you don't really know that. But really what you want to do is ask them questions that help them ask themselves questions and look a little bit into their own lives um, as to like, yeah, why, why did I jump to this particular conclusion? Um, you know, what, what made me feel like this? It's natural to label. Um, it's natural to categorize. It's, it's natural to, um, you know, engage in some of these, as you mentioned, it's, it's very clear, these cognitive distortions are out there. And I'm not sure that there's anybody unaffected by them. Um, but I think what we do is we become um, less affected by them by becoming more aware of them. It isn't that they, they go away, but you get that aha moment where you recognize that maybe it's a thought and it's, it's just, it's just a thought. 
it's a story that you're creating in your own head. Um, you know, we we create stories in our own heads um, and then believe that they're true. So um, I think that when we're working with other people, when we're trying to be in a social environment, or if you're coaching someone, I think really um, not not accusatorily, but just with curiosity and compassion um, to ask some questions. Thank you, Jen. And I will say, you know, one of the things that I heard in a couple therapists' explanations that they would sometimes use diet and health because it is a place where a lot of people struggle. Mental health therapists will often, you know, have clients who are struggling with relationships or this or this. And when it comes down to the type of emotional pain that creates depression, anxiety, I would say it, there is a lot that goes into those should statements because from parenting style, that's kind of where we get a lot of that heaviness. You should do this. You're not good enough, you know, and the, the shame, the disapproval, the things that we feel that we're never quite getting, like that just goes deep and we never seem to unencumber from it. And so I, I like what you said, um, you know, just, is, is this true? I ate that cookie. I'm a failure. Is that a true statement? Could I have just wanted a cookie? I mean, did I, did I eat the whole box? Did I throw my whole diet away? Or was I okay just saying, hey, maybe the first step is reflect, ask those questions, like you said, and open it up to the fact that there could be a different explanation. So I, I have a lot more to say on even the relational stuff, but I want to give everybody else a chance here. Kevin, Kevin, I think wants to say something. He's flipping me off. You're going to yeah, lead me to a cognitive distortion about my own value. That's my new one. That's just your wave to me. Yeah, I, I'm a little distracted, so I, I'm not too sure what I can say that's going to be any better than yours or what Jen has said. Um, I certainly, I mean, who hasn't battled any of these in their life? My most common one, especially when you look at my failure in school and just my health, you know, I, I would say all or nothing jumps to mind. Um, especially now that I have had success in academia, that is there for the expectation is to do well in everything, or at least in in academics. That you know is therefore all or nothing in terms of if I get an A, perfect. If nothing less, then my mom was right. Um, but the more as you've said is perfectly, Jen. It's just being curious that the world does not operate that by uh, that um, that black or white that there's clearly a lot of success in between or grades of success, however we want to look at it and define it. And therefore I just, you you just have to more or less get over yourself and just lean into that curiosity of, you know, what, and that goes back to that conversation you've spoken of Jill years ago, but here with us, you know, personally is just what is your expectation and perhaps changing that. And that's probably what's creating this discontent all of which, and it's asking more questions and unraveling that fiasco. But um, I'm just going to stop there because I'll just continue adding more concepts. But I mean, personally, that's what I've dealt with the most. And it's just a matter of asking those questions, unraveling it. And simply just to me, it's just now it's just logic. Like it's this is the world is just not that simple or operates like that. Therefore, just shut the fuck up with these thoughts. It's just that don't entertain them necessarily, but if there's something to pay attention to, then let's work it out. Otherwise ignore it. I I think the greatest asset that we get from those types of distortions, Kevin, is just more life experience and more age. Uh, Dr. Adam Fite, a sports psychologist, and Brian St. Pierre and I were talking about this in our Nutrition Coaching Global Mastermind, they're both in their upper 30s in the just fraught life of raising a family and being deep in their careers. And then there's me, you know, 15 to 18 years older than them. And 
Dr. Fight asked the question jokingly, like, hey, Joe, now that you're in your mid 50s, it's like, is it true that all of a sudden life becomes so much better and euphoric? And we, we talked about some of the studies that we have here about contentment increasing. And I'm like, geez, you have no idea how true that is. It is so, so freaking true. So many of these distortions fall away if, big if, if you start using your life experiences and your scars and your failures and your disappointments and those failed expectations to come to the conclusion you just said, Kevin, which is, guess what? This is fine. Like, this is great. Like, I'm, are you kidding me? Like, I, I have this life. I have these things. What am I complaining about? There are so many proverbs. I, I think of kind of a Hindu one where it goes something like this. I'm paraphrasing. Like I was whining and sad and in all this because I had lost a finger. Then I saw a man without a hand and you can always find somebody who has it worse than you. But again, we think too egotistically that, you know, woe is me, 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 me. Why can't I get this? Why is it always me? And I just feel like, man, once you start letting go of those expectations and just embracing a level of self-acceptance and contentment, like that brings the temperature of all these distortions way down. But uh, who, who else wants to jump in? This is a, this is such a great topic. Sustain. I have a question. I'm yes, kind of off. But um, so how much of this is like an exercise in expectation management, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have really high unrealistic expectations and you start falling into all of these cognitive distortions, I mean, maybe, I mean, is that what this is? Like you just get your butt kicked throughout your life. And then by the time you're older, you're like, okay, well, just I'll just lower up. my expectation and I'm super happy now. Yeah. <laughs> or how does that is, I guess, is that a component of it? I, I would say it is. And there is some humor to be had there. Like, and even Dr. Fight said this, you know, we, we joked about this, that, yeah, you, you just give up. Like it's, you, you realize, okay, I'm this close to death. It's just time to watch the Simpsons and, you know, not do anything else. But the nugget of truth in that is, are those expectations just too high? Can you still achieve certain things and give yourself a break? Going back to one of my first two slides, the theory of social comparison, do you have to? Should you achieve this, this, and this? You know, should you expect yourself to be perfect? Should you give yourself this timeline? Um, so I think, yeah, don't don't give up on having high expectations, but have correct expectations, perhaps. And your attitudes around those expectations should include a different sense of reality. Because remember, cognitive distortions are an exaggerated sense of non-existent reality. So what is the realistic expectations you can have? You know, th that's why I always say that some of the some of the highest achievers that we can encounter always leave me with a sense of sadness. Every single person I know who has been, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to conquer. I'm going to be the best in the world. I'm going to be the best in my industry. They are all lonely old people. They have no friends. They have traded everything important in life for that one goal. You know, think of Michael Jordan and the last dance documentary. It's like that can be impressive, but yeah, I don't want that. Um, you know, so I think it comes down to Kate having those expectations. But remember, social psychology is the study of us. Who else in your life is being impacted? And are those decisions and your actions okay in a way that includes them. Example, um, at some point in my early life as a parent, much like my son now pregnant with their second child, like he is already pulling back from his career. He is a super high achiever, but all of a sudden with his wife being three months pregnant with their second child, I'm not working on Fridays. I'm not taking any more evening appointments. I'm doing this. He has, he has decided it's okay to have less because what I value most is right in my home already. 
And so the pursuit of going out for the big hunt and the big kill and the big thrill, it's just, it's already being tempered by him volitionally. And I made that same decision. And I'm sure that's one of his modeling factors. He saw me at every single one of his ball games. He saw me taking off work to be with the family. He saw me saying no to opportunities and limiting those because I was valuing them more than me or my career. Do I love my career? Have I had a good career? Yes, I have. I mean, I, but there was always that balancing of, you know, expectations, as you said, I just started to expect different things, not, I don't know, you know, not, not the whole thing when it comes to just achievement. So I don't know if that helps, but it, I, I know Jen's jumping back in here, but as it relates to just food, diet, nutrition, you know, giving your, you know, do you want to be the person who just, you know, you're 90 years old and you're like, yes, I finally conquered my fucking diet. Or do you want to be like, yeah, it was good. It was pretty good. Like I did, I did well, you know, I, I stayed healthy. I, you know, it was all in line with everything else. Go ahead, Jen. And then Charles. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be that person who's like, I don't know what pizza was like. I never ate it. You know, <laughs> I mean, so it, I, I honestly think that a lot of, um, Go, what goes along with these cognitive distortions is is a real lack of um, self-acceptance and self-compassion, self-tolerance. Um, we find in, you know, in the chronic pain world that the, the best intentioned, the most well-intentioned people, not necessarily the most hard driving, although that is sometimes a symptom, but the, but the most well-intentioned people um, are the ones who tend to suffer the most because they do set these internal high standards and it can be their own. It can be cultural, can be familial. Uh, it can be experiences as, as you um, go through life and, you know, and not meeting them can lead to a lot of shame. And ultimately what, you know, what the, the negative effect of that is um, is reflected in our bodies. I mean, these are the sources of chronic stress and we don't know it, but this is the chronic stress that makes us sick. Um, and you don't know how you're going to come out being sick, but you can be sick in many ways. Obesity is, is one of them. It's a metabolic hormonal disturbance, um, cancer, inf infections, autoimmune diseases, um, you know, various kinds of leaky gut. I mean, all kinds of things have been associated with stress chemicals in the body. And, and it's obviously getting to be more, more data, more and more data. But where does this stress come from? And, you know, it's looking more and more like it's our internal thoughts and cognitive distortions um, that prevent us from really, um, you know, reaching a sense of um, fulfillment and, you know, and, and our, our ability to move away from being so egocentric. We don't know how to do that. We're not taught that. I mean, I certainly, my parents didn't know how to do that, you know, and, and so, and, and it's not, it's not a valued thing, you know, um, it doesn't get you clicks on social media and stuff to kind of just be humble and uh, be satisfied with what you have and realize like your son did that actually I'm not getting less. I'm actually getting more. I'm just getting more of different things. So, yeah, it's just a comment. I don't really have any other things to say, but um, I think when you when you if you're a coach and you have a super hard driving, you know, type A competitor. Um, in particular, if you're doing contest prep, I mean, we're all really subject to that in that kind of pursuit, any goal pursuit, if you're trying to do a marathon, you know, a triathlon, whatever. Um, but even people who, um, who have failed dieting many times carry this, this, this load of shame and cognitive distortions and failure. I mean, it reminds me of the Dickens you know, a Christmas Carol, you know, thinking of them being like Jacob, Mar Jacob Marley in chains, toting this, this crap behind them. And they don't, they don't know it's there. I love that. 
Charles, you I think you were going to jump in, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully it's I'm in a public place. Hopefully it's not too much uh, background noise. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think all the comments are fantastic. Um, Caitlin's comment about um, expectations kind of resonated with me. Um, I, I, I know for me, I kind of, ex I kind of expect things to be hard. Um, I think sometimes people set goals for themselves and maybe, maybe they don't have an appreciation for the amount of work it may take to get there. Maybe they think it's, it's going to be um, less challenging um, than they, than they anticip anticipated. Um, and then they just sort of, um, sort of uh, uh, give up. But I believe anything in life that um, I would say is a worthy goal is going to take, in most cases, a tremendous amount of work. You know, you know the, uh, the farmer has to toil in a field before he can reap the harvest. And, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the mom has to go through birth uh, before she has that child. And, and I, you know, and I generally feel like life is a little bit like that. You know, you have to, you have to put in the work. There's going to be some unpleasant things that you deal with, but then it also goes back to the importance of what you were talking about earlier, taking a step back to rejuvenate, to enjoy, um, to, to enjoy, or at least to appreciate um, the progress that you, that you have made and uh, take some time so that you can sort of reset and, and be able to jump back in to keep moving further towards that, that goal. And I, I think when, when people uh, expect things to happen fast, they don't give themselves enough time or expect it to be easy and they don't try to enjoy the journey along the way or at least take time to rest and rejuvenate. It, they, 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 they burn out um, and it mentally could be very taxing uh, to an individual. And I'm, and I'm talking about all this in the context of, of goal of goal setting, at least at least for me. Um, so that's the only thing I was going to say. Uh, man, there is so much there, Charles. I, I could spend another hour just right there. But let me let me say this. What you're describing, I think, is a precursor or adjacent to where these distortions can come from or we can maybe rid ourselves of them and that goes back to like what you're describing the what who we now claim as these stoic philosophers like epictetus was one of the first recorded to say you know it is not the circumstances that cause men mental ill ease it's uh it's their thoughts about it and like they were already talking about this back then and, and very much in line with what you're saying, like, yeah, you should expect this to be hard. You should expect to have to work and you should expect to get kicked in the teeth and you should expect random bad things to happen. You know, this was a culture where probably, you know, five out of 10 kids would die in childhood and women dying in childhood. Like, they were they were used to things being very difficult, life being hard. Part of the reason today we have so much anxiety and depression and these cognitive distortions is when things just don't go swimmingly, like we see on our friends, Instagram feeds, we start to then have these distortions. And again, they are protections psychological of why our lives are not as great as theirs or as great as we think they should be. So I do think, you know, Kate nailed it with that expectation comment. And it's not that you stop trying to pursue things, but to Dr. Fight's question of me, like why at 54 am I happier, more content than I was at 34? You just start to realize, yeah, I probably do need to take my foot off the gas once in a while now. I'm not in that fight any longer of building my career or raising my kids. And it, it comes down to this phrase that I have repeated about a hundred times in the last month. My somatic yoga instructor, one of her, she likes to theme every session. So she puts a lot of time into this. She's, she's just a fantastic human being. And this one session we had, she kept repeating the phrase. And when we're in these positions and it's very meditative, she would say, you don't need permission to rest. You don't need permission to rest. 
And the reason that resonates with me so much, Charles and Jennifer and Kate, is because, yeah, I'm that guy who's been like, let's go my whole life. Like, let's, I don't know where those should, maybe, I think it's second son syndrome. You know, my, my older brother was the oldest, and then there's the second son. So, two years younger, I've got this person in my family who's always a little bit older, you know, smarter, faster, bigger, stronger. And so you tend to, you're always trying to keep up. You're always trying to do that. And so like, that's how my brain developed being very achievement oriented. You know, I've never been an all or none black or white kind of person where I just feel like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm okay. Like not having everything, but definitely I expect things to be hard. I expect to have to work. I love to work. And now it's it's an exercise for me to say, I just don't have to. Like, I'm okay. I don't have to do all those things. I can back up a little bit and slow down. And that, that's kind of new to me, to be honest. Um, who else has got some good, good comments, questions, self-reflections? While anybody else may want to unmute and totally feel free, I, I just want to bring this full circle back again to the fact that our health, our longevity, our maybe competitive pursuits, like those are all fine. Those are all good. Just go through these lists of cognitive distortions and make sure you're putting the emphasis back on the right context. You know, is it do I have to win or lose? Am I catastrophizing? Is it all or none? Have I put too much emphasis on, you know, the outcome, me being the victim, this, you know, oh, I can't possibly win this, something bad always happens to me. I know I'm not going to, you know, be able to accomplish this. Like those are the things that we have learned to self-protect with. And that's what we have to get rid of. That doesn't have to be that we're giving up on the goals. We're not completely taking away the expectations. We just have to put them in the right context. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, I will let you go for now. Um, somebody else jumping in? Nope. Okay. Uh, I don't know where we'll go with this next week. I just want to spend another couple of weeks to kind of review some of these behavioral elements and maybe round some things out so that we can then put them into some text type work. Um, I talked to Austin Kiergaard, our dietetics director today, and Dr. Souders and Kevin to put you on notice. I have asked Austin to kind of take the lead in our third tier for NAMS, which will be a health coaching module for coaches to become certified. So very much more on the qualitative sides of nutrition, you know, macros, energy balance, all that stuff was tier one, you know, advanced nutrition and competitive aspirations tier two, tier three is going to be this stuff. Plus, you know, things that just impact our true health and longevity. So uh, he, he will probably, now that I've tasked him with that, ask us all to contribute certain chapters or give us this and this. And so we can get that in. And I'll talk to you guys more about that. But I just wanted to say that in front of everybody to let you know that that's, that's a big part of why we do this. It's for everybody's total health and well-being, not just so you look amazing with your shirt off or at the beach and that sort of thing. Although that that's fun. Uh, and that can lead to better health. Uh, we just have to, like I said, not not let it get distorted. You guys have a great rest of your Friday and weekend. Thanks so much for uh, being so open with a, a deep topic. See you guys.